Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a great weekend. We are off we're off to the races this morning. So this morning I was at um, a protest against vaccine mandates for Southwest Airlines just to, I wasn't actually protesting myself. I was getting some interviews from a lot of you guys and it was really exciting to meet some of you and to talk to Southwest employees who are pushing back against this mandate. And I'll play some of that footage once we have it all put together, maybe on Thursday, but very interesting to hear from those of you who are standing up against this. What I heard was it's about sincerely held beliefs, not even necessarily about the vaccine, although it is for some people, um, but it's really just about freedom, the ability to be able to provide for your families. A lot of the people I talked to had been working for this airline and other airlines for decades, and this is just the breaking point for a lot of you. And I think that it would um, it, that it would do well of these corporations and of course of the federal government to listen to people who have sincere, well thought out reasons to oppose these mandates. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the week. Uh, today, I just kind of want to. Um, give us some perspective about about a lot of the things that are um, that are going on right now. There is so much chaos. There's so much confusion. There are so many different news stories that everyone's trying to keep up with. And I just want to make sure that we as Christians are looking at all of this from the proper perspective. It's easy to get so consumed with politics that we start to lose sight of what is eternal and what is temporal. And I just want to bring us back to where we should be standing as the church, I believe, in in all of this and explaining to you why I, as a Christian, stand where I do politically, but also, you know, opening the door to the areas of Christian liberty that I think are important. Um, I want to take a break from the news, even though there's so much that we could talk about. I will say just briefly, Colin Powell Secretary of State under um, under George W. Bush, he died from COVID complications, and he's 84 years old. So whether someone is vaccinated or not, the chances of surviving COVID aren't really great. And so um, he died. Sadly, we should be praying for his family during all of this and everyone who knew him. It's always kind of shocking off-putting when someone who has been such a pillar in American political life for so long, dies even when they are old. So that's the one bit of news that I'll say. But other than that, we're going to take a break uh, from the news just to kind of get our bearings, to kind of get our legs underneath us a little bit. So I want to explain this issue that I see on the left and the right. And I realized as I was writing this out that this takes a little bit of repetition to break down where I think we are in this moment. But there's this issue that I see on both political sides, and I see this among Christians and among secularists. And um, then I'm going to explain, like I said, where I sit and where I hope to have everyone who listens to me sit in the midst of all of the craziness politically and culturally that that's going on. Um, and maybe stand is actually a better word than sit because we are all standing against, we feel like we're standing against these waves of chaos and confusion right now as Christians and as conservatives. And then I'll talk about 
why I stand where I do theologically and politically. And I hope that these explanations give you a whole lot of clarity. And I hope that you end this Monday episode feeling very encouraged about why the heck any of us are here, why we talk about the things that we do, why I believe we are called to to the fight that's before us. And yes, that does include politics. Um, The reason that we talk about the things that we do that, yes, are temporary, yes, Um, are physical and political and cultural sometimes rather than spiritual and eternal is because we believe that there is no neutral ground. That's what C.S. Lewis says. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And we say often on this podcast, neutrality is a myth. Secularism is not neutral. Christianity is not neutral. Conservatism is not neutral. Neither is leftism. Nothing is truly neutral. No book, no movie, no show, no second we spend is spent neutrally. Everything in one sense is spiritual warfare. Like everything that is thought, everything that is said, everything that is done or not done is all in submission to God or to Satan. Everything that exists is either claimed by God or by God's allowance is claimed by Satan. Ephesians 2.2 calls Satan the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So Satan is actively working in the universe through those who do not follow Christ. We were all once sons and daughters of disobedience. That's what Ephesians 2.3 says. So we all once walked as sons and daughters of disobedience following the prince of the power of the air. The chapter goes on to say, it is only through the power of Christ by the grace of God manifested uh, in our faith in Jesus that we are now sons and daughters of obedience. We were once rebels, vessels of wrath, tools of the evil one. And now, not because of anything we have done, but because of God's incredible mercy, we are now children of God, friends of God, heirs of God with Christ, vessels of mercy ambassadors of Christ. So the old has gone, the new has come, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Ephesians 5.8 says, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. That last part is something that you'll hear me say on Relatable a lot, that which is good and right and true. That is what we as Christians cling to and push for. And then in Ephesians 6, we're told this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we New creations in Christ, children of light, lovers of all that is good and right and true, haters of that which is not good and right and true. We are in a spiritual battle against children of darkness, sons of disobedience, haters, again, of all that is good and right and true. That spiritual battle is real. Neutrality is a myth. There's dark and light. Okay, so we got that. That's the whole big grand context that we're all living in, whether we acknowledge it or not. But here's where I think things get complicated. When we talk about the things that we do, when we talk about these different political issues, here's where I personally struggle. When it comes to the culture wars, political wars, it is fairly easy for me to say what is evil and dark and what's not according to not my feelings, but God's word. 
So anything that glorifies what God calls disordered sexuality, anything that normalizes what God calls perversion, anything that seeks to corrupt or abuse children physically, sexually, psychologically, all of the above, anything that seeks to disintegrate and redefine the nuclear family, which God defines clearly in the first chapter of Genesis and reiterates throughout scripture, specifically by Jesus himself in Matthew 19, and is necessary, uh, a necessary building block for any functioning free society, uh, anything that disincentivizes work, which existed before the fall, before sin, sin entered the world, and is therefore inherently good and necessary for both individuals and nations to thrive, anything that encourages covetousness of someone else's possessions, anything that replaces the God-given role of the parent or the church with the role of the state, anything that intentionally dehumanizes or oppresses a group of people, anything that enables or, in, or exacerbates anarchy and lawlessness, anything that causes people to believe in utter lies, anything that that. Uh, calls evil what God calls good and calls good what God calls evil. Now, within these kind of broad categories of what, according to God's word, are very clearly evil, um, uh, within those categories are packaged my specific thoughts about immigration, about guns, about free speech, about abortion, welfare, race, etc., which I've detailed obviously many times over the years on this show and all of my specific views fall into one of those deal breakers I listed above. And it's on those specifics. So it's on the how of those things, especially on the how policy-wise, on the policy specifics that I think faithful Christians may disagree. That doesn't mean both sides are right or even that both sides are biblical or that it's not important to debate and determine who is correct. But it also uh, doesn't mean that either side is not a believer. Like, for example, I voted for Trump. There are Christians, faithful Christians, who didn't vote for either candidate. I respect that decision and their faith. And yes, I even know Christians who voted for Joe Biden. It's really hard for me to understand that decision. I will debate that decision until the cows come home. And at the end of the day, I will probably at least get them to say that voting for Biden was not a good decision. But those Christians that I know personally who voted that way, I will see them in heaven. Like, I have no doubt about that. There are Christians who disagree on the particulars of gun policy, of immigration policy, welfare policy, COVID policy. And even though I really think they're wrong, and I could root my beliefs about each specific policy in scripture, I have to believe these are not salvation issues. Because if I don't, then I've just placed spiritual burdens on people that don't actually biblically exist. And I've added something to the gospel that biblically is not there. So there are people who I believe peddle factually and biblically incorrect information on race, for example, racism, police brutality, justice, so-called social justice, who call themselves Christians. Many of them are. Some may not be. Not based, and I'm not saying that based on my feelings about them, but based on their general rejection of the Bible as authoritative and their seeming insistence upon worshiping the God of self rather than the God of Scripture. And then there are people with whom I agree politically and culturally, and honestly, this bothers me more. People who I really agree with politically and culturally who I believe really see things like as they are right now in this political moment, their eyes are opened in that way. And some of whom, you know, they don't even pretend to be Christians and that's fine. But then there are some 
who I agree with on so much politically, who call themselves Christians, who, based on what they say and based on what the Bible says, uh, they seem to not be walking out a genuine faith in Christ. It seems like they believe Christianity is less about uh taking up your cross and following Christ and more about some strange mix of patriotism and self-help. And that really distresses me. That really makes me sad. And now here's why I think we have what we do. We've got Christians who believe that they align with some left-wing values or left-wing policies on things. And again, I think they're completely wrong about that, but you know, we're free to be wrong on things that are not salvation issues. And I'm sure they think that I'm wrong on some of those things as well. And then we have people on the right who are right politically, but have their theology all out of whack to the point of where I am not even sure that they could articulate the gospel. So it doesn't give you any clout to be a Christian on the left, Um, according to leftists. Like you are not going to get any more credibility being a Christian, you're probably actually going to have less credibility from leftist secularists if you are a Christian. But it does give you clout with the secular world to be on the left if you are a Christian, which is why I believe there are Christians who adopt some of the left-wing values that don't align at all with scripture, like say abortion, and they just call it like nuanced or something like that, because it's easier to be mainstream politically and still try to hold on to the Christian faith. It's cooler. It's less controversial to be maybe center left. And of course, they may sincerely believe the political things that they do. But the truth is, they agree with the secular world on these things. Almost 100% of atheists and agnostics identify as on the left side of the political aisle. Now, it does give you clout to be a Christian on the right, which is why I believe there are secular people on the right who simply say that they're Christians because most people on the right are. Like there are a ton of evangelicals on the right, and it gives you a boost if you espouse Christian values, whether you're a Christian or not. And a lot of these people on the right really don't know the first thing about the Christian faith. I think, and I know this is controversial, I think that Trump probably falls into this category. And before someone calls me judgmental, I think that we are supposed to just discern the fruits of what people say and do. And again, this is not coming from a place of condescension because as I already said, all of us, according to Ephesians 2, were all once in that place. We were all um, uh, part of the old way. And now we are part of the new way as new creations. We were all sons and daughters of disobedience. Now only through by grace, by grace, through faith in Christ, are we, um, are we sons and daughters of obedience? So this is not coming from a place of superiority or condescension. I'm just saying what is. So I think that there are Christian liberals seeking affirmation from the world. And then there, I think there are secular conservatives seeking affirmation from the Christian right. Does that make sense? And so both are dealing with a form of compromise that I think that we have to be really discerning about. Now, I am not an arbiter, thank the Lord, of who is a Christian and who is not. Um, We may be surprised by some of the people that we see in heaven. My point is that the spiritual battle of good versus evil, light versus dark, does not primarily break down into left versus right because of what I just described. It doesn't break down primarily as Republican versus Democrat or conservative versus liberal. It is not primarily political. So this spiritual battle that Christians are facing is not primarily against vaccine mandates or COVID restrictions or gun control 
or abortion or even communism. And let me just say, like, that's tough. Okay, that's tough for me. Um, I imagine that it's probably tough for you, too, if you're as passionate about these things as as I am, because I, I hate all of the things that I just listed. I think all of them are evil and cumulatively they have a very oppressive effect on societies. And thus, I think that they should be opposed by Christians. That's my view. And I believe it's a biblically based view. I am very passionate about those views and I want to persuade other people to hold those views on those subjects. Even so, I have to understand that believers who disagree with me on these are my brothers and sisters. And at the end of the day, I have more in common with them fundamentally than I do with the atheist who agrees with me on, say, the dangers of critical theory. At the end of the day, my allegiance is to Jesus. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm a member of the body of Christ. That doesn't mean that I'm not a citizen of the United States. That doesn't mean that I'm not politically involved. Obviously, you guys know how involved I am and how much I care about it. But ultimately, fundamentally, like that's where my association is. At the end of the day, it is still light versus darkness. It's not ultimately pro-abortion versus anti-abortion. It's not ultimately capitalism versus communism. It's not ultimately freedom versus tyranny. It is ultimately, ultimately sin versus salvation, Christ versus Satan, the church versus the world. That is really hard to remember when everything is so insanely political right now. And when I see so many Christians who just don't, get it, who still think Black Lives Matter is really about saving Black lives, who still think that all of these COVID mandates are really about our health, who think that Joe Biden really is empathetic and unifying, who think that critical race theory and gender theory have some merit to them, who think that abortion is some nuanced issue that maybe we don't need to be involved with politically, who think saying a man is a man is unloving, who think social justice is actually just. They really think the biggest problems facing our country are white supremacy and Christian nationalism. It's insane to me. I mean, it's, it's mind boggling. Um, they don't see what's happening. They have no idea what's coming. They're totally and completely ignorant and their ignorance works as complicity and tyranny. And they don't see it. They don't see the parallels to the Gulag Archipelago or Brave New World or 1984 or the screw tape letters. They literally do not see it. And that is maddening to me. And yet, and yet, at the end of the day, I have to remember where I stand, on which side, quote unquote, I am ultimately and most importantly. And that is on the side of those with whom I agree on the gospel and disagree on politics. Is there a debate about how much secular progressivism you can buy into before it's logical to wonder if you believe the Bible at all or just secularism in general, right or left. Yes, yes, there is definitely a debate about that. Absolutely, we talk about that a lot. Uh, but I'm talking about true believers who simply have maybe given in to mainstream dogma on political issues without even really thinking. And that's actually why I have this podcast. This podcast is for believers. It is to inform believers on my side of the political aisle. And it's also to persuade believers on the other side of the political aisle. There are non-Christians who listen to this podcast. I'm very thankful for that. I have non-Christians whom I've had on this podcast who have a lot of wisdom to share. 
And I am happy to have their voices on those important subjects. I just wrote an article that's out today for World Magazine saying that, you know, we can learn something as Christians from Dave Chappelle and Joe Rogan, even though we really disagree with them theologically, we disagree with a lot of the things they say, but the fact that they're willing to come out and and say, hey, biology is something that exists, like a man is a man, like that, that kind of secular sanity infused into the cultural conversation matters. I welcome it. That's great. But as far as I know, Dave Chappelle and Joe Rogan aren't Christians. Like that is not ultimately who I am linking arms with. Um, And even though they have more wisdom on these subjects and more courage on these subjects than a lot of Christians do, that just means that Christians should be ashamed about their lack of wisdom and courage on it. It doesn't mean that I am no longer in alliance with them as my fellow believers. Um, the the secular voices who are saying in all the categories that I'm talking about are so important, but they're not family. The Christian church is. Um, the Christian church are the ones that I am supposed to be fighting alongside. That's why I am much more interested in arguing with people who bear the name of Christ than I am interested in arguing with non-Christians about politics. I mean that in the sense that I want to talk to true Christians who are left wing and show them where I believe they're wrong politically. I also want to show conservatives who are not true followers of Jesus, who are maybe just Christians in name only. I want to show them what Christianity is and what the gospel is, that it's bigger and better and deeper than a tagline in our bio, you know, faith, family, freedom or something like that, or it's better and bigger and more profound than a campaign slogan or an identity that we know is going to, you know, get us in with the conservative evangelicals. Like, That is deadly. That's deadly. That's just as empty as any kind of secular progressivism. Um, It's it's bigger and better than a narrative that centers on the rise and fall of the United States. Uh, I see a lot of conflation of that um, on the right. And that does that does worry me in the same way that it worries me that there are. Uh, that there are Christians that compromise so much on political and cultural issues to the point of basically almost being indistinguishable from secular leftists. Um, I love when I get when I get Christians who tell me, yeah, I was a Christian, but I was ignorant politically, and now I've changed my mind for listening to your podcast or reading a book or whatever it is. And usually it's not it's it's not me, uh, but when people become Christians and when they get involved in the Christian community and they start studying scripture, they do tend to move to the right politically and socially. I know people get so mad when I say that, but it's true. It, I mean, it's true. When I I did a survey the other day on Instagram asking people, um, you know, what changed your mind on abortion? If you were previously pro-choice and now you're pro-life, or maybe you were someone who said, I'm personally pro-choice, but I'm or personally pro-life, but politically pro-choice. If you're one of those people who maybe didn't think that the law had anything to say about it, what changed your mind? Almost every single person said becoming a Christian or realizing that you weren't really a Christian. You just said that you were a Christian, but really reading the Bible, that is what pushed you to be anti-abortion. Most people that I talk to, if I say, if you are on the left and you moved right, what changed your mind? Most people say someone introducing me to God. And I'm not saying that being on the right is the same as being a Christian. I just spent a few minutes talking about that. That's just typically the trajectory that happens. So you can get mad at me all you want to about that. Talk to people. It is typically true. Um, it's And it's because like it's really hard to stomach the legality of abortion or the disintegration of the family or the unencumbered growth of the government as a Christian. 
Um, but, but I love even more when I get conservatives who tell me that maybe they were already pro-life. They already hated big government. Um, but now they're a believer. Like God used this podcast or God used a bunch of different people, a bunch of different conversations, a bunch of different resources to show them that even though they aligned with a lot of Christians politically, or maybe even that they thought they were Christians, um, they, you know, they, they realized that they weren't, they didn't know anything about theology. And so that's where I sit in the midst of this. That's where I unabashedly want my my listeners to sit. I want you to sit in the midst of all of that. That doesn't mean that I'm in the middle politically. You guys know that I'm not, but I want us to be so careful, especially on the right. Because, you know, I've seen a lot of conservative figures lately who I didn't even realize were Christians. And I would have assumed maybe that they weren't, even though we... Um, you know, even though we agree politically, like going out to churches and giving sermons. And I just, I worry a little bit about that. I worry a little bit about that on the right, that we stop caring about theology and we stop caring about whether or not someone believes the gospel when they align with us politically. Like that's, it's a little, it's a little shaky and it's a little difficult. Like when we see the onslaught of um, you know, tyranny in some ways that we see coming and has already manifested itself in places like Canada and Australia. Like it's really easy for us to believe that left versus right is darkness versus light and to conflate this political um, fight that we're in with uh, a spiritual fight. And it's not the same thing, but the political can be spiritual. They're not the same, but they can definitely be intertwined. And um, I hate the word nuanced because I think it's overused, but it truly is a nuanced look of what is what is going on. So I see it as I care about politics because I care about people. As we say so much, politics matters because Policy matters because people matter. Politics affects policy. Policy affects people. And so I care about the things that I care about. I vouch for the policies that I vouch for because I believe that it's best for people. Um, But I also see that ultimately what people need is the gospel. Ultimately, what people Uh, What I want people to do is not to be Republican necessarily, um, but I want them to bow to Christ. I want them to see Christ as king. Everything else that I advocate for, I think is good for society. I think it's good for people. And I love the country in which God has placed me. And so I push for policies and I push for people or I push for issues um, and sides of issues that I think is best for the family and that glorifies God the most and allows people the freedom to to speak and to worship and to think and to provide for their families. All these things that I see, according to the Bible, are good and right and true, while at the same time holding my partisanship loosely when it comes to um when it comes to the gospel and when it comes to who I am ultimately linking arms with. And I can't tell you exactly specifically what it always looks like to walk that out because obviously I've linked arms with people who are not, um, who are not believers when it comes to, for example, gender ideology or critical theory or things like that. But I can't do that at the expense of my partnership with fellow 
believers. Um, and things have become so heated, so hot that really, I think that a lot of us feel like we do have more in common with unbelievers who agree with us politically than we do believers who disagree with us politically. And I think people on the left feel like that too, 100%. Um, So I I don't know what it looks like to necessarily walk that line, um, because certainly if we care about tyranny, if we care about the threat of totalitarianism, which I think that we should, um, and we obviously do on this podcast, it's going to take allying with people who are not believers who care about who care about this stuff um and we do that while at the same time wanting to change their hearts and knowing that the gospel is ultimately the answer it's this tension it's this tension that christians live in that's another overused term tension nuance all that stuff sometimes these are just excuses for people to not really know what they're talking about um and i don't mean it in that sense Uh, but we do we live in this tension of being here and knowing that we have to care about the people around us and care about the world and care about what's going on right in front of us while knowing that our hope is in heaven, that our faith is in God, our trust is in God, not in any politician or political party, wanting what's best for our nation, wanting what's best for our families, wanting what's best for our community, being logical and true. Truth matters so much, not just when it comes to biblical truth, but also when it comes to, uh, when it comes to just factual truth, scientific truth, like all of all truth is God's truth. So All of that matters a whole lot, and I'm always going to be advocating for that while also feeling this sense of, but this is not my home, but this is not my ultimate calling, but these people around me who don't agree with me on the gospel are not not my family. And I think we are, we get confused sometimes when we're reading the Bible. Our Western, I think, lenses make us view particular verses in scripture that are, um, that are really talking about loving the church and caring for the church. Like, for example, caring for the least of these, we think of, oh, least of these in society. It's really talking about persecuted Christians. It's talking about the least of these within the church. We look at a verse that says, you know, visit those who are in prison. And we're thinking, oh, this means everyone in prison. It's really talking about persecuted Christians who are in prison. And I think that um, we think really that so many of the commands in scripture are about taking care of people outside of the church when our primary responsibility, yes, we're supposed to go out and make disciples and evangelize, but our primary caretaking responsibilities are really to our families and the church. Like those are the people that we are mostly supposed to be ministering to and serving. And I think we've really neglected that. Like I think the local church so often is so focused on growing numbers and so focused on missions that we neglect building very intimate, uplifting community within the church. And we sometimes fail, I'm not saying always, but sometimes fail facilitating these very important discussions and debates about politics so that Christians in the local church can come together and say, you know, I really disagree with you on this so passionately. But at the end of the day, you're my brother and sister in Christ. The church really needs to be the one bringing people together. I'm not talking about some big organization doing that. I'm talking about the local church equipping 
believers to be able to discuss these things that matter but are not ultimate. Um, so that's what I hope that we can see. Maybe there's pastors, there are people who are listening who can help us craft a vision for you know how to help churches do that in their own way. I think that this is such a moment in the age of vast globalization that seems to be crushing us in so many ways, whether it comes to supply chains and big governments, uh, big government policies that are exacerbating and enabling unemployment, um, when things seem to be just getting bigger and bigger and more and more overwhelming, like the church needs to be focused, laser focused on its people, laser focused on its communities. I think Christians are really called to simplify our lives right now. And yes, national politics matters. State politics matters. These big picture things matter. But we really, I think, need to localize. We need to be taking care of one another. That's how we're going to get through this. I think. And we need to lean into that and remember where ultimately our allegiance lies, even as we are pushing for policies that we believe are best for everyone. I hope that makes, I hope that makes sense. Um, Okay. I'm going to talk about something fun uh, that I talked about on Instagram that got some laughs from you guys. Okay. So I just wanted to, we haven't done a things I don't get in a really long time. And I don't know if this qualifies as a things I don't get. So if you're fairly new, you haven't been listening since the beginning, we do like uh, sometimes they'll say like things I don't get like people who wear flip flops in airports. You guys know I have very strict airport etiquette that what I'm wearing right now is is great for an airport, actually. So I believe like this is not even what I was going to say. Things I don't get. But this put me on this tangent. So for airports, um, you got to wear closed toed shoes preferably, I mean, with socks, even if I know if you have TSA pre-check, you're like, well, I don't have to take my shoes off when I go through security. I know, but still, I just don't think toes, they don't need to be seen. They don't need to be seen on airplanes. They don't need to be seen, especially if you're a guy. If you're a guy, no one ever needs to see your toes at all. Flip-flops are just off limits, period. That's another attire rule I have. Again, another topic for another day. But airports, everyone needs to be wearing closed-toed shoes. You don't need to wear heels or anything like that. Think about an emergency. Like if you have to slide down one of those slidey things, if you crashed in the ocean, you don't want your heel to puncture that. So we're thinking practical here. Closed-toed shoes, socks are preferable just in case you do have to take off your shoes for any reason and you don't want your feet to smell on a plane. That's the worst thing. You need to have long pants on. Maybe a long skirt. It's not ideal, but you need to have long pants on. The joggers that I'm wearing right now are ideal for that because they've got an elastic waistband. Jeans, uncomfortable, acceptable, but uncomfortable. And then like I'm having, I have a tank top on, but then I have a sweater over it. So I've got some layered options here. The, the, the planes are cold. They're almost always cold. And so you need some layers and I had a sweet lady sit next to me in like her little tennis outfit the other day when she had a like a tennis skirt on and a tank top on and she was shivering the whole time. I don't want that for you. So things I don't get, that's one thing when people don't wear the correct attire for um, airports. I should probably just like, I don't know, create some company where I help you pick out your airport outfits. And I know some of you are going to be offended by that. I'm sorry. Again, not ultimate issue. We can still be fellow believers in Christ. Um, but the thing that I don't get, that is complete. I don't even know how I got onto that. The thing that I was talking about on Instagram um, was this like thing that millennials have. And this is this is a real thing. I'm going to tell you about it. And you're going to be like, oh, I do that too. I did. I thought that I was the only person. You're not the only person. This is actually a phenomenon that I read about in some magazine. I think I even wrote about it or almost wrote about it in my book. And I can't even remember what it's called now. 
But so we have anxiety as millennials. Millennials born anywhere from, I think it's like 1982 to 1997. I was born in 1992, so I'm right smack dab in the middle. I'm very much a millennial. Just all, all most of the characteristics that you think of when you think of a millennial, I embody. And one of those things is like we're okay, or at least I'm okay, and I think most of us are okay making like the major life decisions. The people who are kind of on like the older end certainly of millennials. Sometimes they're called like the early 80s are called like Xennials, like Generation X millennials. But we're okay with like the major life decisions. Um, Like I'm married. I have kids. I have a job. We pay our bills. We've got a mortgage. So like we've got, I'm fine with all of that. And we're responsible in that regard. It's little things that give us anxiety. So what I mean by that is like, okay, we might take care of all of our major life decisions. Maybe you went to law school, you became a lawyer, you're engaged and all that good stuff. But I bet that your trunk is filled with boxes of clothes that you have been meaning to give away to Goodwill for like six months. And you probably have like a row of wrinkly shirts hanging up in your closet that instead of ironing or steaming, you have just decided that you're going to avoid wearing because you just feel like you never have time to do that. I bet that your voicemail box is full right now and that you not only maybe haven't called these people back or maybe you have, but you're not going to listen to the voicemails and it actually gives you a little bit of anxiety to think about listening to those voicemails or when someone calls you that you don't want to talk to, you just let it go because you don't want to pick up the phone. You might have a closet that's filled with packages, uh, Amazon packages of things that you don't want to send back or that you know that you need to send back, but you haven't sent back yet. Um, This is a problem that millennials have, and I'm going to give you my analysis on it. I'll give you my analysis on it, my quick analysis on it, because we're running out of time in just one second. Okay, so just my quick analysis about like why we have anxiety about these little things, and I would love to hear your analysis too. So I, I, and I read about this somewhere, and I can't remember, I can't remember what it is. One, I think that we are overstimulated at all times. We are consumed by technology, and we have this sense of, rushedness, like we have this sense of hurry that may or may not be real. Um, And we always feel like we don't really have time to do things that we don't have to do. For for me, it's really difficult for me to do things or to even text. I'm terrible at texting people back terrible at texting people back. And it's not because I don't care. Although I, if I'm honest with myself, I do think that not texting people back can build up to like a a character flaw. Like I'll just own that. Like I think that it makes you seem unreliable and untrustworthy or uncaring when that's not really the case. It just, I really just forget. And um, I think that millennials are constantly feeling just overstimulated and overburdened by things that may or may not affect us. We probably don't have a whole lot more responsibilities than generations past, but we have access to so much more information, access to so many other problems that we are, we feel burdened in ways that we're not. So maybe we as millennials need to, again, kind of going back to what we talked about, simplify and cut down a little bit so we can actually do these things because it actually matters. Like I know it's funny, 
But I don't think it's a good habit to get in to not send things back that we want to return. Obviously, that wastes money. Or to not take the stuff to charity that we want to donate to charity. Or even something as simple as like not ironing our shirts or not steaming our shirts, I think um, makes us lazy. I think that we could all do better. And I know this doesn't apply to everyone out there. We could all do better at managing our time. I am definitely preaching to the choir. Like I am talking to myself. I just constantly feel encumbered by so much. And some of it is real. Some of it is in my imagination. And you know, when you decide that you're going to do something, when you decide that you're going to make a priority, for example, to work out, and the thing that's been holding you back from working out so far has been that you don't have time. And then all of a sudden, when you make the priority for it, you realize that you do have time. And it's even hard for you to imagine why you thought that you didn't have the time before. I think that that can be true of millennials, that we need to do a better job of prioritizing. There's so many little things that I hate to do. Like I hate to call, like if I have to cancel a subscription and I have to like call someone to do that, or I have to go through the hassle of doing something, I really, really want to avoid doing that at all costs. But then when I realize that I I just do it, it doesn't take that long. And really, I just wasted a whole bunch of time beforehand um, that I didn't need to waste. So uh, this podcast is called Relatable for that reason. I am you. You are me, like better or work. And if you understand that reference, um, you need to stop paying attention to politics too much. You're too consumed like I am. All right. That's all we've got for today. We've got a lot of good stuff this week. We'll be back here tomorrow. 